Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juice and the Big... No, Juice and the Numbers, not the Movies Podcast. Although Oscar season is upon us, so check out Juice and the Big Screen, where Corinne and I talk about movies. Uh, but welcome to this week's episode of Juice and the Numbers, your uh, statistics and sports podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy. I'm Corinne Hill. And, uh, yeah, we missed an episode last week. We're going to miss another episode this week. Uh, Corbin was was on vacation last week for the latter half of the week. I'm on vacation this week for the latter half of the week. So, uh, yeah, no, this, is, this is the only one for this week. This is the only one you're getting. And it's late because, honestly, fuck you. Uh, you get what you get when you can get it, you know. It's, such is life. I have to agree with you. Everyone, just go fuck yourself. Yeah, it's been my general attitude for, for, for quite some time these past few weeks, but whatever. Years. Uh, in my entire existence, my, my first words out of the womb were eat shit and die. Um, yeah, and here we are today. And, I've, and that has, has progressed appropriately into me in my uh, mid-late 20s having a podcast. That's the exact progression. Everyone, everyone followed that exact same line. So there you go. Anyway. So because in the span of one week, so much has happened between the, the, the two major sports that we talk about between MLB and the NFL, uh, we're just going to kind of make this one just the one. We're going to talk about MLB transactions today. We'll save NFL transactions uh, for when I'm back next week to, to record. So today we're just going to focus on MLB stuff because a lot of big things have happened um, while we're, uh, and while there's still room for smaller stuff to, you know, accumulate and and for rosters to continue to shake out a little bit figured with the amount of big things that have happened probably better to start there so uh corwin yeah. heller are you ready i'm ready all right so uh i guess let's start with free agents well that's how we're probably going to divvy this up we'll go in terms of contract size for free agents and then we'll go in terms of uh, linear transactions for trades so in terms of contract size the second biggest contract of this free agency period was doled out recently in what is honestly really a head scratcher. I mean, really a head scratcher for so many reasons. And that is Chris Bryant signed a $182 million contract, uh, seven years, 26 AAV with the Colorado Rockies. And man, I can't figure that out to save my goddamn life. Can anyone? Literally, has anyone figured out what their plan was or is? And this is this is just has it been two seasons that I think we're heading into the second season since they gave fifty million dollars to the St. Louis Cardinals for taking Nolan Arenado? No. <laughs> Like, no, because last year had to have been the first season. That's what I'm saying, right? It had to have been. Yeah. I mean, this is <laughs> this is fucking puzzling. Obviously, the first thing that comes to mind is why would you pay to get rid of an arguably better, not arguably, a better player just to replace him with another massive contract? Massive long-term contract well and you got to think it's not just arenado that they traded away they also didn't re-sign trevor story which we'll get to obviously in a minute like so it's not just one big contract that they effectively got rid of it's really two to take on another one 
right? I, I don't know. No, Josh, I don't know why. I, I, I don't know what they could possibly think would be the advantageous trajectory of this team. And paying like, to get rid of one contract, I, <laughs> getting rid of another contract, and then signing a big name free agent as if it's. It's it's astonishing. So, are you ready? I'm going to hit you. I'm going to hit you with the top five people on the Colorado Rockies payroll. Are you ready? Charles Charlie Blackman with twenty one point three million due to him this year at the age thirty six. Uh, Chris Bryant eighteen million. Okay, all makes sense. Herman Marquez eleven point three million still makes sense. CJ Crone <laughs> at seven and a quarter. And then Antonio Sensatella at seven and a quarter. And then after that, because of course, yeah, it is just a, a cavalcade of, oh, right, that guy. Like, Julius Chassin is apparently on this roster for this year, slotted to make $1.25 million. Okay. Wow. Sure. You got it. I mean, it's it's a puzzling roster, which is why I think Cor and I are both really struggling to, to make. I mean, just a, any kind of sense of it. It it's wild. So you have Chris Bryant signed through his age thirty six season. Okay, you have Herman Marquez still in arbitration. Okay, he's your only startable pitcher if you were ever to compete who do you have that's young that's gonna you're gonna build around while you still have chris bryant and hopefully herman marquez i mean charlie blackman like you said is our top paid player here 36 years old already this might be his last goddamn year for all we know and nobody i mean they have no Outstanding young talent. There, the youngest player on this roster is uh, actually oh is twenty three. I missed him, Ryan Velade. Corwin, I defy you to tell me what position is. Ryan Velade plays. But I don't. Uh, he's a relief pitcher because I've never heard of him, and <laughs> there's no. That's just what he. His, his baseball reference lists his positions as left fielder and pinch runner. He, is an, he had an OPS plus last season of negative 58. Granted, three games, but oh boy, that's hilarious. Let's look at the Rockies farm system. Let's see what they have to cook with. That's, that's the thing. It's not good. <laughs> it's not good. So, all right, so you got Ryan Velade at, at 23. Then then you got Brendan Rodgers at, at 25. Brendan Rodgers will be heading into like his third, fourth big league season. Last year, he he had a pretty okay year, a 102 OPS plus at um, predominantly second base. Uh, it, not a lot of power, especially for cores, 15 home runs, 21 doubles, you know, so very much like a high contact guy uh, for Is his part. Which, V-I-L-A-D-E. I tried to do it as, as phonetically as I could because, boy, howdy, I do not know how to pronounce that man's name. He is currently um, the Rockies' uh, number five prospect. And like, but that's what I'm saying. So like, good or bad? 
it's not a problem for me playing your number five prospect because for me, it's like, all right, if you're playing prospects, play your prospects. Like, like why not? Instead of sign Chris Bryant, and this is not, you know, and we talk about this, you and I, every single time we talk about confusing signings, no shame to the player getting paid, but it's weird that the Rockies would opt to bring in a guy to play. One would assume some combination of third base and outfield, like he's been doing his whole career when instead you could bring up minor league guys and like, it feels like the Rockies haven't figured out where they are as a team yet. They're not bad. Like the Cubs got bad so that they could kind of figure out some pieces and they're going to slowly start making some signings. Like we saw with, with the, the uh, big splashy uh, Japanese signing, which we'll talk about too in a little bit. Um, And where their holes are is not immediately obvious because it's, well, it's the whole team. It's the whole team. It's the whole damn team. So knowing what you can solve in-house and what needs to be addressed via free agency or the trade market is not obvious because, wow, it's your whole entire goddamn team. So I guess they could say we're going to build around Chris Bryant. The, The Cubs couldn't. I mean, they, they walked away no, with a single World gosh. Series in like a six-year playoff window. Yeah, but they started when he was young and not and 30 that. years old. And that, yeah. The, yeah. The Rockies have three prospects in the top 100. Only one of them is ranked above 93. Oh, God. Zach Veen, the 49th-ranked prospect. I mean – Ryan Rollison, a left-handed pitcher, the 95th-ranked prospect, is due to make his debut this year in 2022. Zach Veen is expected next year in 2023. Benny Montgomery, the 93rd best prospect in baseball, isn't due until 2025. So you have two prospects making their debut, two premier prospects, premier, in the next two years. What? you've traded away all the other ones or, you know, they're on this roster hidden away and boy, that it's nothing really jumping off the page as far as great young talent. Garrett Hampson was a top prospect. He's okay. Brandon Rogers was supposed to be a very good prospect and we haven't seen much from him. Uh, I don't know. I just, I, I don't know why in the world they would sign a guy like Chris Bryant. And and even on top of that, not just a guy like Chris Bryant, the their other signings are absolutely confounding because they're all so you know, maybe you could say, oh, all right, they're they're going for an offense team because their pitching sucks and pitching takes the longest to correct. You know, we, we still see teams like the Dodgers who we always think have, have maxed out their pitching, trying to get more pitching. The Padres, when we thought they were going to be a good pitching team, went out and got more pitching. The Yankees, who are a good pitching team, are trying to get more pitching. So we could say, all right, so they got Chris Bryant. NL is now adopting the DH. Maybe they're going offense heavy first. Look at the rest of their signings. It's, it's nothing but fucking pitchers. It's Alex Colomay, relief pitcher. Chad Cool, who's a starter. Julius Chassin, who's a, who's a starter. Um, J.D. Hammer, who's a minor league guy. Scott, Scott Shebler, who's a minor league great center name. fielder. We'll great name. And then uh, Jose Iglesias, who is a shortstop, who I guess will be taking the spot of um, uh, fucking Trevor Story. So, I mean, outside of that, it's like a bunch of fifth, 
fourth starters, like, oh, wow, we need someone who can is capable of throwing even 110 innings in the season. Let's go get some guys. And it's like, look, that's fine. Every team needs some guys. But these aren't sneaky, under-the-radar, promising young dudes or bounce-back candidates. Julius Chassin has been on every team in the Americas, independent and up. <laughs> it's like we know, we all know who Julius Chassin is. Uh, and and honestly, Chad Cool, like he could be, be better for sure. But it's not like, again, he's not like he's a guy that I'd expect like a big bounce back from. Like, like everyone kind of expected a little bit with or hoped for a little bit with like a Jamison Tyone or a James Paxton. You know, like these aren't those signings. These are seemingly the signings of a team who is not trying. Plus Chris Bryant. Like, it, it's so weird. Yeah, I mean, I get why you would sign that contract if you're Chris Bryant, because it's a lot of money. At the same time, if you're Chris Bryant, why are you signing this contract? And then that's the other half of it, which is really like you just saw Trevor Story essentially like thumb his nose at this team because they he wasn't a fan of how they treated him and and he didn't think that that team could win. Apparently, from from a report I saw, the Rockies offered more money than the Red Sox did, and Trevor Story said, "Go fuck yourselves." I think Boston has, gives me a better chance to win now, which he is right. I mean, Chris Bryant has a World Series ring, so maybe it doesn't mean as much to him, which is fair. Collect your paycheck. I get it. But it's a head scratcher. Uh, we spent a lot of time on Chris. I guess, let's, I guess let's move on. This one is so fucking weird. We could keep talking about this. Like, I feel like that never <laughs> happens with baseball signings. Yeah, we this, this could easily be an episode. On its own. It really could be. Like I had another theory that I'm just going to sit on now because it, it's so pointless because, wow, we could talk about this all day. So the only theory, all right, all right, real quick. The only other thing I could think is that the Rockies front office said to themselves, I don't know who the fuck these guys are. <laughs> and if I don't know who the fuck these guys are, who's going to buy tickets to come to, the, to, to see us? You know what we need? We need a guy whose face can be on the season ticket holder box we send out to our season ticket holders. And that guy... It's Chris Bryant. Only thing I could think of. I mean, on one hand, sure. That's very plausible. At the same time, that's a lot of money. I know that's photo. see, this could be a whole goddamn episode. Cause that's what I was thinking in, in contrast to my own thought though, of is the math for the front office that having one all-star player is more valuable to you from a profit perspective than $26 million per year. Like, are the Rockies expecting to generate $26 million in profit to offset that salary from having one guy with a recognizable face and, and, and a good-looking a good looking mug? Like, is, is that it? Because if that's the case, boy, how are these players, under, are these players underpaid? Uh, which we knew already, but I, I, I don't fucking know, man. I don't fucking know. I want to know. So, all right. You know, now let's move on. So, the uh, two more of the top five, three of the top five contracts in terms of size, total size, not AAV, were all handed out within the last week, basically. So, the next one is the fourth biggest contract, which was really, uh, I'm not going to say a surprise, but was really a very watched signing. It was Freddie Freeman going to the Dodgers. I'll, we'll start there. I hate when people kind of like, tease it too much um but it was really 
so up in the air. And I think so much more up in the air than I was expecting. You know, like when the reports started early last season that Freddie Freeman hadn't signed a contract and it's like, oh, so weird. Freddie hasn't signed an extension yet. The Braves haven't offered him an extension yet. Can't believe that. It's like, oh, shut the fuck up. They're going to give him a contract, you know, like he's the face of the franchise to a certain extent. Like that's what, you know, it just hasn't happened yet. I wouldn't put too much stock into it. And I got midway through the season and Braves fans started to be like, fucking weird. We haven't extended Freddie yet. And I was like, uh, I mean, yeah, but like, uh, it'll, it'll happen. They're going to do it. And then it became the offseason and they didn't extend Freddie. And then there was a lockout. And then, you know, there was reports of the Dodgers. He's a California kid. And there was reports of the Yankees. They got a lot of money. Reports of the Mets. They'd figure it out. And lo and behold, the man's a fucking Dodger. And I, the contract itself, six years, 162 mil. So that's 27 a year, uh, which will have him playing through his age uh, 38 season. In I, what is a combination for me of fuck the Dodgers? Can why do they need all this this many good players? And goddamn, is it cool seeing one team get all these goddamn players? Um. If I was a baseball fan at large, I would love this because this would be such a fun team to watch. But because I have a a team that I root for and a a quote-unquote favorite team, which happens to be the biggest rival of said team, um, this fucking sucks, dude. (laughs) Like... Could you imagine if this team wore like the Red Sox cap? If this team just was the Red Sox, that would suck. I would be deeply hurt. I fucking hate this. Like, it's, deeply hurt. I know they already have, like, they had the best roster in baseball already. Like, there was no question about it. They already had that locked up. And then you add perennially, perennially one of the best hitters in baseball. The fuck are we also like? What are we supposed to do? It. What's the hope that I know, like, and, six players get hurt or six players all slump in the postseason? And that's what's wild they about basically it. Lose all of their you know pitchers. Is that the Dodgers went out to bolster up first base, and last year their first baseman had an OPS plus of one thirty eight. Like, it's not even like it was an issue. And they went out and were like, we, we can do better. We, we can do more. And they got Freddie. And it's fucking what I'm here's here's a number that's super fun. Uh, Freddie Freeman is now this will not be a fun number. Freddie Freeman is now the highest paid player on the Dodgers. What? <sighs> Yeah, the Dodgers' biggest contract is now to Freddie Freeman, which is wild and really breaks the idea for me of how we think about positional value. The number two guy is Mookie Betts. He's making 22 and a half. Justin Turner, third baseman, making 20. Uh, Trey Turner, who is projected to make this arbitration cycle 18-5. Um, Cody Bellinger, who's projected to make 17 
Kershaw is making 17. Price is making 16. You can keep going down the list. It gets smaller, of course. Um, but it's it's wild to think that on a team this ridiculously stacked with all these great players at premier positions, old as some of them may be, looking at you, Justin Turner, um, Freddie fucking Freeman is the highest paid Dodger. Yeah, I am um, not a fan. I'm really just really not a fan. I, I mean, it's impressive. And it, it's like it, it, it's a do you think this is a good thing because Freeman got a lot of money and did not give a hometown discount? Because I think we can both agree that when they happen to your team, you take it every time because it means you've got a good player and you, the owners can't hide behind paying out a gigantic contract. Um, but I think we can also agree from a neutral perspective that hometown discounts are probably not the best thing for the labor side of, of the game, because it means you're willing to take less than you probably should. Um, so do you think this is a good thing when you have a serious, like a a solid salary cap? Oh, sure. Yeah. It's baseball. So it doesn't matter. No, Uh, but so, so do you think this is a good thing that Freeman, was still able to get paid a a, 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 a choice amount of money. Um, or do you think this is a failure on the Braves part for not signing him to an equivalent, if not greater amount of money? Um, no, because I think from the <laughs> no to a either or question, um, I think the Braves aren't at fault here because they were able to get, excuse me, Matt Olson to a much lower contract and medals and by all means is honestly in my mind an equally as good player um or at least has the potential to grow into that and when you can make that you know value proposition you should um and you can't really fault the dodgers for playing paying the market rate for a premier player um it's really more so just they shouldn't be able to do this. And I think that's kind of why we enjoy having the salary cap in other sports Um, because, Hey, super teams are cool for the NBA. Like it's cool to watch LeBron James play with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosch. By all means that kind of ruined the NBA. And I think a lot of people agree with that. um, At least to some extent, I don't, I don't think this is good for baseball to have the Dodgers, you know, be able to do this and be able to do this at will. Well, you know, and I would say that now that I've, I've looked at what the Dodgers are giving players um, now that I, I, now that I see that most of their contracts are sub 20 million a year, which obviously it makes sense that most of them are that. But when you think about the Dodgers, I, I guess you don't think that. A lot of these contracts are contracts that other teams can so readily do. Now, obviously, the Dodgers have to their advantage the fact that they are always in the World Series. Baseball, yeah, Yeah, right. Like, like they're gonna win their division. They just barely didn't last year because the Giants decided to be hilariously good. Um, 
and and you know all famous franchise big fancy town blah 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 blah. but i really see this as less of a dot like it's funny that money has become a market inefficiency it used to be that money was how the market was decided and then the money ball movement came around and it was hey concepts like on base percentage are a market inefficiency you know the idea of ops and slugging relative to just batting average is a market inefficiency you know like being an effective ball player is a market inefficiency and now it's i don't want to pay money to get people who are good i i and it's it's crazy that's come to that but it feels like it has because you know like like there's no team in ball today that couldn't give uh chris taylor a what is he on a four year 60 mil? Yeah, four year 60 million dollar contract. Every team in baseball could give that contract out 10 times out of 10, 30 times out of 30. Again, I think this is another reason to argue the salary cap. Any any player in the world who could play for the Dodgers would probably want to play for a Dodgers if they were getting market rates. It shouldn't be, you know, the reason we have a draft is because if every player came out of college and was a free agent, all of them would have signed with the Tom Brady Patriots for the past 20 years. They would have gotten to pick the litter of whoever they wanted. And that's not how you create a sports league that is competitive and has um, parity. It's not sustainable. And if the Dodgers can literally sign... Every, like the best player at essentially every fucking position because they can afford to pay it and there's nothing stopping them from paying them all, they're going to do it. Uh, real quick, an interesting thing. I was looking at the Dodgers batting splits uh, because their first base, I, because he played the majority of his innings there, I assume, um, saw that Max Muncy was positioned as their first baseman uh, for the majority of the season on baseball reference and his 138 OPS plus. However, the uh, Dodgers actual first base, first baseman production, be it whoever played first base in the game, was actually a 99 OPS plus, which is good for the uh, third lowest position, uh, hitting position on the team, which now makes sense as to why they would go sign a first baseman. Mm-hmm. So in case we were all wondering, there's your answer. The lowest were center field and right field, which right field being that low is also very interesting because the right fielder I thought was Mookie Betts. It is. He had a good year last year. Weird. I'm not getting into the 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 Dodgers roster breakdown. If 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 you're an if you're a fellow nerd with way more time than me, that's a that's an interesting article. Um, but uh, I'm not writing it. So anyway. That's Freddie Freeman. We'll get into the, the 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 Atlanta side of it later. But Trevor Story also signed a contract, as we had alluded to earlier, with the Boston Red Sox for six years, 140 mil. It's 23.333 a season. Uh, and sends him to a team that already has a well-hitting shortstop. So this is kind of an interesting move. And it goes along with a thing that has become, I think, a little bit more focused on in the past few years as as uh, teams have put less emphasis on position 
and more emphasis on quality um, because uh, there is, I think, a new adage forming, which is if he's good, you'll find a place to play him in essence. Uh, So, yeah, Trevor Story, welcome to Boston. I, I, I'm not sure how I feel about it yet. I don't know. How does it make you feel? Um, I'm not a Yankees fan. I am not really worried about the Red Sox. They're in a completely different league, you know, whatever. Um, if I was a Yankees fan, I imagine I'd feel the same way about this as I would about Freddie Freeman. Um, just because, boy, I don't want to deal with this fucking guy. This guy's really good. Why? Why? The Red Sox are already pretty good. Why? You know, I don't, I'm not really worried about where they're going to fit him. I think between him, Bogarts, and um, I feel like they have another guy there. But regardless, uh, they'll get their playing time in. That's not really something I'm at all concerned about. Um, so. Red Sox are going to be good. What else can you say? Yeah, it's it's always interesting seeing a, a pitcher, a pitcher, a player leave the pitching environment that is cores. You know, we talk about the hitting environment a lot. I think really at this point, the biggest difference is probably the pitching environment. Um, Trevor Story, a career 103 OPS plus, which is interesting. Sorry, career career 112 last year hit 103. It was a Big down year for him in um, his free agent year, but people also talk about the fact that he seemed like he really just was fucking done of being in uh, Colorado, which I, I honestly sympathize with. Uh, yeah. I, I get it. So in reality, his his median uh, or his you know yeah median um, OPS plus is more like 120, which puts him squarely in line with where. Xander Bogarts tends to be in a typical year with his career average of 115 OPS plus. Uh, Trevor Story is the much better fielder, but with reported concerns about his elbow health and uh, the miles per hour he's able to generate on his throws to home, apparently Trevor Story would be the one moving over to second instead of Bogarts, which, I mean, will be fine for the Red Sox second base defense. It still leaves their short ba- shortstop defense pretty shitty. Um, but I, who, who knows how much it means, you know, um, I, I'm just waiting to even see if, how, even how if much their defense does is. get marginally worse, their offense gets significantly better. Uh, so I guess Trevor's story, if he goes to second would be taking the place of, hold on. I just had the Red Sox fucking roster up who played second base for the Red Sox last year. Oh, Christian Arroyo. And his 102 OPS plus last season, which was the same as Trevor Stories. Um, yeah, it's tough to know how the Red Sox are going to shake out the roster. I'd imagine this means Christian Arroyo is probably gone. I don't know why you'd keep him around because you have Enrique Hernandez if you want to have like a utility bench player. But who cares? It doesn't really matter. Um. I, it makes the it makes the Red Sox better. I'm annoyed less at the that he's on the Red Sox, and I'm more annoyed that the Red Sox are clearly spending money in what is I think a much looser playoff window than the Yankees. I think the Yankees have more going for them at the moment. Maybe it's it, just in pitching, but I still think that's pitching matters more because it's tougher to be secure in that. 
Um, so it's annoying to see the Red Sox investing in, in their their lineup when the Yankees are seemingly shedding pieces and trying to scrimp and save, which is frustrating. Very frustrating. But whatever. Who cares? Good for Trevor Story for going to uh, a better team, though. Yeah, good on you. All right. So there's other signings and you know, we've been going for a little, little bit. So we're obviously not going to be grinding to a halt, but I'm going to try to cherry pick a few of them. So I'm going to skip down a little bit to what I think might be the most shocking signing of all of them so far. And that is Carlos Correa going to the twins for only three years. Which every part of that sentence for me felt more insane as I was reading it when it first dropped. It's just why? Like, this is just another why. What do you gain? Like, what is the advantage for your career going to Minnesota? I'm not saying like Minnesota's, you know, a, an absolute garbage pile, it's not. But like genuinely, like what what can you get in Minnesota that you can't get anywhere else? An easy road to the playoffs. That's one of the other things I was trying to think of. Um, as we have talked about so frequently on this show, the AL Central is a joke and you don't really have to try very hard as a GM to make your team marginally better than the second best guy. So, sure. Um, maybe it's, I almost view yeah. it as a prove it deal in a weird, it's like you have to wonder if the market for Correa maybe wasn't as big as he wanted, maybe because there were too many other big name players in his class, or maybe because there's concerns over his back. You know, he has missed time in his young career because of his back problems. So maybe that's a factor there. Um, but it almost, it almost feels like he's trying to delay things a little bit, but the reason why I just, what I can't really wrap my head around, like if do you, sorry, I keep starting the sentence and stopping it, but like, I don't think there's a problem with, with a, time with a Bryce Harper style contract. You know, I know we've talked about uh, Correa being worth, you know, $33 million a year for like 10 years. Cause he's so fucking young, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's, yeah, that's the other part of it. That, that's weird is if you want the security of being able to play for a long time, a Bryce Harper contracts, not, it's just so fucking fascinating, man. It's so fucking fascinating. I agree. Uh, I don't think it changes my pure confusion of, of again, why? There, I is. I know, right? It's puzzling. Is there really no other team that would be willing to give him a long-term contract? Let's work this out a little bit. So team payrolls, the Dodgers 
uh, are already rocking a $270 million payroll for the season. So absorbing, let's call it uh, 35. Well, let's stretch out the years. So let's call it like, I don't know, 32, just to make it slightly lower. Um, $32 million payroll would blow them wide over the, uh, the, the luxury, the fourth luxury tax threshold. Mm-hmm. The Mets, Mets are currently sitting at 250. So that would put them at you know, a little over 280. So maybe, I mean, I think that puts them right around the, the fourth payroll threshold as well. Um, they also just paid Francisco Lindor, so they're not really in the market for a shortstop anyway. So mm-hmm. leave that to the side. The Yankees is where it gets a little bit more confusing because they're sitting at 235 right now. So they can't be under the luxury tax threshold, which this year will be at 230. Uh, they could have if they did not take on Josh Donaldson's contract. Uh, and then had the room to have uh, Correa and be under the luxury tax threshold, which is hilariously stupid that they, I mean, didn't do that, but they could have. So I, I don't really get that there. That's a head scratcher, but we'll leave that to the side. Fourth biggest payroll is the Padres, who wouldn't sign him until they figure out if uh, Tatis is going to be a long-term answer at short or not. It wouldn't the sign him regardless. Um, they had like the number six prospect in baseball is a shortstop for them. So fair, yeah. There's so uh, positionally they have some th- some internal things to figure out. I think is the easiest way to to put it. Mm-hmm. White Sox, uh, I mean, the, at 183 mil, they certainly could. It would put them under the luxury tax threshold, sitting around 215. But the, I'm, I'm not like I'm not surprised the Reds, the White Sox aren't signing 30 million dollar players. I'll put it that way. The Phillies, actually, the Phillies would have been fucking fascinating because their current shortstop is D.D. Gregorius. You can replace mm-hmm. him in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And signing Correa would have only put them also at around 215, which for the Phillies, I don't think would have mattered very much. That's fucking weird, actually. The Phillies totally should have done that. Uh, Agreed. Braves and Red Sox both sitting around uh, 170. Uh, both seemingly could have done it. The the Braves are paying Dansby Swanson right now. So again, not a big loss if you have to move on from Dansby. Uh, Red Sox, I guess they chose Story. Uh, who, who fucking cares? Uh, Angels, which oh God, who knows what the Angels are going to do on a given day. And then, honestly, I didn't realize the Astros payroll was so fucking low. 160 mil. They could have re-signed Correa and been, you know, $38 million under the luxury tax. Okay. So, yeah, I, oh, I get it from some of the other usual suspects, maybe. But really, as we go farther down the list, it honestly gets more puzzling. Like the Cubs, because they, they just signed... Um, Oh God! What's his fucking name? The 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 the, the Japanese guy that was kind of like a sweepstakes. Oh, uh, Suzuki. Yeah, I'm gonna butcher his name, so we'll just go with that. Um, and like, I'm not saying that that's the sign that like they're gonna open the 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 floodgates and like really go for it. But if they wanted to have a long term solution at shortstop, especially right after moving on from their previous long term shortstop in Javi Baez, this could have been an interesting offseason for them to do it too. I mean, they really don't have that much payroll right now for the Cubs. 123 mil, it's lower than league average. 
Um, it man, it's wild. It really is. So that, that's the money from, I guess, the Twins' perspective. From Correa's perspective, he is set for life with this contract, right? Of course, sir. It's $105 million that you're getting from the ages of 27 to 30. You're set for life. So maybe he's willing to gamble on getting that annually for another eight years after this on a second contract. Would, that would make a lot of sense. The only thing that I've seen. So much risk, though. That stood out to me. It, it definitely is. Is the Yankees only have like 23 guys under contract in the year that this expires? 2025, I think it is. Numbers are hard. Yeah, sure. yeah, it sounds right. If this is just his way of still trying to go to the Yankees and lying up to give himself the best chance to do so. Okay. Um, well, I then I would, I would say you, didn't, you wouldn't even have to look that far out because he has, he has player opt outs after every season. He has player right. opt outs after 22 and 23. And then after 24, he's an unrestricted free agent and he has a full no trade clause. Um, for 23 and 24. So it's seeming, it, it almost seems like this is an insurance deal for Correa. Like if he plays, like I would imagine he's going to test his market every single season, at least behind the scenes in ways we don't understand. You know what I mean? Like I, I wouldn't be surprised if Correa plays, you know, 145 games next season with his usual stellar defense and solid hitting. And of course, murders the AL Central, which is bad, and then opts out and signs a gigantic deal. And then I conversely wouldn't be surprised if he got hurt this upcoming season and then didn't opt out and just kept doing that until he was healthy. Yeah. Uh, yeah honestly, knowing that how those opt-outs are structured, that makes a ton of sense. You know, actually, I think I think that's the reading of it. This feels like three consecutive prove-it deals, but tied yeah. together for a little bit of security. Absolutely. Because no other team, I think, would sign this. Like, it, it, you wouldn't want to have this much positional insecurity unless you were willing to, you know, willing to put up with the fact that you might have to reorganize that position, a major position in the short term. And I think a team Oof. that would be most willing to do that is a team that probably plays in a shitty division and would be okay with losing significant money from the books in exchange for. Um, being good for a, just a couple years, like the Twins, yeah. like uh, the Twins' playoff window being open for three years would be the longest playoff window they've had since fucking the eighties. Hey, I I would love to see the Twins finally come back and do something after. Fumbling it away in the playoffs, um, which is, you know, what they do. Um, Twins way. I, I'm not rooting against Correa any more than I would any other player from that Astros team. But, well, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, all right. So there's 
I, I mean, I, that's its, it's own whole thing, but I feel like we got to an answer on it, kind of. There's obviously a lot more signings to get to. Nick Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber are going to make the Phillies fascinating. But let's take a, a leap over real quick to look at some of the trades and acquisitions that have happened um, to, to get a, an understanding of, I guess, really what's been shaking out on that side of things, which is, you know, part and parcel with making free agent trades and so, or free agent acquisitions, um, which brings, I guess, to the, the first one that can tie into the one that hurt Josh's heart the most, which is on March 12th, uh, the Texans, not the Texans, the Rangers sent Isaiah Connor falefa and Ronnie Enriquez over to the Minnesota Twins in exchange for catcher Mitch Garver. Uh, and then the following day, in addition to also acquiring Sonny Gray and Francis Pogrero from the Cincinnati Reds in exchange for Chase Petty, the Twins turned around and traded Josh Donaldson and Isaiah Connor falefa as well as Brent Rortvet, in exchange for catcher Gary Sanchez and shortstop third base Giovanni Urshela which is a wild trade for the Yankees and a very interesting trade for the twins Um, on the twin side of it. This frees up a ton of payroll and gives them, I mean, low floor, high ceiling players in terms of hitting good defense uh, for, for short and well, really for third, because they'll be moving on to have Correa play it at short. And it honestly improves their offense because I'd say that Sanchez and Urshela and Correa is so much better than Donaldson and Connor Falefa would be in those same, uh, you know, from a, a cumulative standpoint. So from the twin side, this is amazing. From the Yankee side, I don't get it. Why? Like, what's your your go to reasoning? Like, what is your? You are so closer to this than I am. I just want to hear your thoughts. So, I think we're operating under the guise here that the Yankees officially are are well. Obviously, they fucking traded him away, but they they were done with Gary Sanchez and didn't think that he was going to be able to not just be the answer for them going forward, but be able to provide for them the combination of defense and offense that they had been looking for um, just for this upcoming season. And I guess are feeling more confident in Kyle Higashioka's ability to be a standout defender, as well as provide a reliable bat. Kyle Higashioka and his career 65 OPS plus and his career 0.5 war 0.4 of which was earned last season compared to Gary Sanchez's career 113 OPS plus and 11.7 war. Um, So wildly different players. They're really cutting themselves off at the knees, trying to avoid, I guess, the damage of a genuinely terrible Gary Sanchez season. But Gary Sanchez's worst season is a pretty average season for Kyle Higashioka in terms of offense. So I'm really, I, I, I don't get from that perspective and yeah, Gary's not the best defender, but I'm not sure if what we know as defense in terms of being able to 
just pick at the balls is all that matters here because Gary's also been known to call a good game from what we understand from pitchers. So uh, I don't, it doesn't seem the, the improvement seems so marginal. I don't get it from there. Now you could say that Josh Donaldson, obviously a better hitter than Gary Sanchez. You would be right. Josh Donaldson career 135 OPS plus he plays uh, a, a premier position, third base. And I, I, I do get it in a certain extent from, from that perspective, but with the size of his contract and who we had available, Carlos Correa for exceedingly similar amounts of money. I again, don't get it. Isaiah Conner for is a guy he's there to play shortstop. He's there to play shortstop better than geo would be playing shortstop, which is fair. Geo is a fine shortstop and a great shortstop. Connor Falefa is, is genuinely a good defensive shortstop. So if you want to improve team defense, I would say that, yes, this improves team defense. Is team defense the Yankees' biggest issue? I mean, obviously their defense has been kind of shaky the past couple of years, but I, I mean, I mean, I'd rather be, hey, I might eat these words, but I'm going to say them. I think I'd rather be the Phillies with the ability to mash dongs day in, day out, sunrise to sunset, then have super clean infield defense and kind of sort of hit like the Cardinals, I guess. Um, And we're not built like the Cardinals, so it's not going to work, but whatever. And it's, it's like the actual cost of the accumulations hurt my soul because we lost Gary. But the opportunity cost is so much worse because you absorbed $50 million of Donaldson contract that could have gone towards Correa money. And for that reason, it makes absolutely no sense. And I just, I just struggle. I struggle to see the added value plus understanding what we missed out on to make this trade really worth it. I, I just don't fucking get it. Why go through so many more roster changes when you could have just signed a guy, one guy? I don't get it. I really don't get it either. Um, do the Yankees need to be more right-handed? That's just throw that out there too. Do they? Yeah, do they, the Yankees well, need to be more right-handed? I don't know the answer to that, but I do know that that is something that was a well-discussed topic to begin with. Um, the answer is fucking no. And look, both the guys they traded away were right-handed. Both the guys they traded for were right-handed. But you know what? Stop making the game. Stop making the Yankees so goddamn right-handed. If you're going to be making trades, give me some fucking lefties. But whatever. Leaving that to the side. Um, I don't. I don't know. Like, I don't even know if the Yankees got better. Because I, I would don't. I would say they got better in a very marginal sense but not in a way that's going to be the, a great impact. I wouldn't think. Yeah. I mean, I like Gary. I like rooting for Gary. He was a fun Yankee to root for. Josh Donaldson was really fun to root for a while ago. Um, 
do you think his issues with Garrett Cole are going to become something, or do you think there are two grown men that can get over it because it's their job? I think it's going to be two grown men who get over it because it's their job. I don't know. I much prefer the other Yankees trade that we'll get to. Yeah, well, I understand that for, for your side of things. Yeah, the Yankees got better, which I guess it's hard to argue against getting better. It's just the manner in which they got better compared to other ways they could have gotten better. That makes me sad. So, uh, you wish those efforts were invested elsewhere. Those efforts and those monies. So, I mean, Josh Allison's going to give you good third base defense and a really solid bat. Isaiah Conforluff is going to give you really good. Um, shortstop defense and a really hard to watch bat, um, which I guess both of those combined are the sum of their product will probably be better than what from a, a war perspective than what uh, Gary and Geo got you. I mean, just last year in 2021, Donaldson and Falefa combined for we'll call that seven war and uh, Gary and Geo Urshela combined for uh 1.3 so yeah i mean kind of love his glove is for real josh donaldson has always had a good bat i do get it i go get me correa and instead of improving by about six war you could have improved by like seven eight very easily one guy one guy but whatever all right uh I guess let's get into let's do some more trades and let's get into to the, the, the bigger ones that don't affect just me. And that would be the one that took place the day after the Donaldson trade. In which Atlanta and Oakland had a blockbuster and Atlanta sent to Oakland Christian Pache, Shay Longalaire, Joey Estes and Ryan Cusick in exchange for Matt fucking Olson. Wow. Yeah, I mean, Matt Olson. They extended Matt Olson as well, too. They did. I'm going to. I'm getting that contract detail up right now. But that was, uh, you know, Matt Olson's whereabouts had been discussed for a while. But because for me anyway, Atlanta seemed like if they were going to give money to a, a first baseman, like I'm so wrapped up with them with the Freeman talks, I didn't even consider them as a possible landing spot for for Olson. And then then there he went. I got extended to an eight year. $168 million contract, which if you're keeping score at home is a uh, $6 million more total than um, Freddie Freeman's contract, but with a slightly lower AAV Freeman's 27 Olson's well, not slightly 21. It's significantly lower, um, but Olson much younger. Olson is heading into his age uh, 28 season. Whereas Freddie Freeman will be heading into his age. I guess it's 30. 332 32 is age 32 season. So four years younger with comparable bat, I guess we could say, and comparable defense um, out of nowhere, really. But from a brutal numbers standpoint, that makes a lot of fucking sense. Uh, I, uh, I don't get how the Braves can just, get these guys to agree to these contract numbers that are so hilarious when you look at them both individually and just as a whole, how they can just 
agree to get paid below market rate so significantly. I mean, I know Matt Olson isn't anywhere close to what they did to Ozzy Albies and, and Ronald Acuna, but still, it's like, what, what, what dirt do you have on these guys? I, uh, unless this says more about the first base market, but it doesn't make any sense. Freeman got a higher AAV. Both guys are left-handed bats. Both guys play decent first base defense, which is not a defensive heavy position in Matt, the first place. Matt Olson plays very good first base defense, I will say. As does Freeman. Like, like they, they both do. I'm just trying not to overstate the okay, impact of first base defense. Um, yeah. And I just... Now, granted... Olsen is less proven, I will say, than than Freeman is. Matt Olsen's OPS plus by season is very up and down. So in 2017, 166, fucking awesome. Fourth place rookie of the year. Uh, 2018, it was 117. Not bad, but but a, a pretty big dip from where he was the year prior. 2019, 139, up another 22 points from the year over. 2020, 103, huge down year from where he had just been 36 points lower. And then 2021, 153. So, I mean, massively up again. And, you know, we've been through this and talking about Gary Sanchez. It's not the worst thing in the world to have dips as long as those upward swings keep coming. And you know that there's the potential to have that. That's the only thing I could think of is maybe hampering his market rate. Like Freddie Freeman's career, 138 OPS plus comes with significantly less fluctuations in his ability to produce a number near that. And uh, maybe that's it. But even that seems like a tough sell over an eight-year stretch. So who knows? Yeah. Do you think they, uh, do you think they take that, was it league, that conference again? Ah, well, I mean, that's the interesting thing because we've, we've been saying for years, like if the Mets just don't suck like that, that's all it takes for them to win. And we saw it happen for most of the season last year where the Mets were on top of their division and cruising and then got shellacked in the latter half. You know, obviously Atlanta got better. The Phillies, I think, did get better, even if their defense is going to be a bunch of Benny Hill music over um, Scooby-Doo like scenarios. It's gonna be uh, fucking oh, it's going to be so great. I'm so excited. Uh, like every team got better. So it's tough to know in a vacuum what will happen. I think the Mets probably got the most better. I think. But and fuck, I have no idea. Max Scherzer, Jacob DeGrom. It's a fucking killer type combo. Yeah, I was predicating my they got the most better solely on the back of Max Scherzer because that should be enough. Yeah, really should. But I, I don't know. It's, it's Max fucking Scherzer. Speaking of blockbuster uh, Oakland trades, and this will be the penultimate trade that we talk about today because yeah, my voice is getting tired. Uh, Oakland made another stunner as they shed another star. They send Matt Chapman to the Toronto Blue Jays in exchange for Gunnar Hoagland, Kevin Smith, Zach Logue, and Kirby Sneed, which really is quite a lot of people. I do not know who they are. Um, but regardless, uh, yes, that's what I was about to say. Regardless, the big name, obviously, is Matt Chapman. 
who has spent so far his entire career in Oakland, five-year career, along with uh, two platinum gloves, <laughs> is heading over to the East Coast as he joins the already stacked uh, AL East and a Toronto team that had, I guess, a question mark around third base, but not one that I thought was gigantic. Um, although now I'm realizing that Santiago Espinal played the majority of their innings at first third base last year. And I'm now realizing why they traded for Matt Chapman. Um, but yeah, yeah, I guess that'll, be, a, that'll be quite the Guerrero. defensive upgrade from Vlad Guerrero. Yeah. That's, what I, was, that's what I was just saying. Guerrero. Yeah. I, I, for, for some reason in my mind, he, he was still there and he is not. So yeah, they're getting platinum glove defense. There's, there's been some comments about uh, Chapman's offense, which we'll get to in a second, but I mean, what do you think of this trade as a, as a Matt Chapman lover? As a Matt Chapman lover, I'm upset. I'm hurt. You know, I love seeing him in that Kelly green. Um, at the end of the day, I just have to remind myself he's not dying. He's still there. He's still my boy. Um, I don't, I just, I just don't want to see him have to, you know, leave. It's Matt Chapman. Let him, let him stay. Let him stay in his home, you know? No, this is this is just the uh, an early scene in Moneyball 2, more money, less, less money, more balls. Um, Moneyball 2, balling. This is, they, they got to have a shot of them pulling down the Matt what's Chapman the, uh, banner in front of the stadium. What's, what's the release date on that? Moneyball 2. Uh, less money, more balls. Uh, it's yeah. it's coming out in uh, September of 2023. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, because yeah, that gives plenty of time for the A's to go on a 40 game winning streak. Double, double is good. I can't even imagine. Yeah, and they finally uh, upgrade away from Sam's Choice Cola. <laughs> they finally, they finally get Coke on on board. Wow, what a what a huge win for the Moneyballs! Yep, and it's it's that it's that early success of of, of brand name cola that rockets them to a twenty game win streak. 40, 40, 40 game win streak. Sorry, that's, short that's change. all that was missing. That's what Dombrowski could have offered him in um, uh, Boston if he went. That he would have had name brand cola. He would have had a World Series. That's all you need to know. You know what's funny, though, is that in a world in which the A's actually do win 40 straight games and go, I don't know, 130 and 30, um, they still lose in like the second round of the playoffs. Oh, without question. It's like, oh, no, we got to we gotta play the Twins. We can do it. And then they couldn't. If Billy Bean's team won 40 straight regular season games and they got bounced in the second round of the playoffs, I think he has to be put on suicide watch. At, at like at that point, as a GM, what do you do? I don't think you can go back to that team. No, honestly, if I was him, if, if I put together a regular season team that won 40 straight fucking games and then they still didn't make it to the World Series, I would quit. I would retire from the yeah, sport. Yeah. You've peaked. You have done everything you could possibly fucking do you would have had a team that won 40 straight games and they couldn't get it done in the playoffs. Fuck you. I'm done. F- fuck you. Oh, fuck yeah, you. I got a kid who's singing stupid songs in my radio. I got to go watch her grow up. 
She's already an adult. I've missed so much. I have grandkids. I don't know the names of. I have to leave. That is 100% what I meant. You, you have lost me. If you guys like have a true utter collapse in the playoffs, you're on your own. You are just done to me. You're dead. What's the fewest number of games you'd have to win consecutively to have that reaction from, from, from you? So like obviously 40 is not MLB happening. record MLB records what 21 21 or 22 I know that it was the um, it was the the Cleveland team like 30 I think 30 would be the number cuz like 22 is is crazy but like has the team that's gone on a 22 game win streak ever won the world series uh, team has never gone on a 22 game win streak so no the team that has the record, have they ever gone on to win the World Series? I mean, I can't imagine because the, the A's didn't win it either. So, um, hold on. Let's see. Actually, I'm sure it has. I'm sure it's some, like, 19-fucking-15 Giants team. Uh, MLB longest. Yeah, longest win streak. There we go. All right, so yeah, it's technically technically it's the nineteen sixteen Giants who went on a twenty six game win streak, but there's like ties in there, and it's nineteen sixteen. You guys didn't have like the fucking color television sets, color pre color television. I do not care. Um, then Cleveland won twenty two in twenty seventeen. Uh, the Cubs won twenty one. Oh, nineteen thirty five. Who fucking cares? Uh, the A's won twenty in two thousand two. Uh, come on, color TV. Show me some Yankees won uh, 19 and in, in 1947, but no color TV. Who cares? Uh, color TV Cardinals. The Cardinals winning 17 last year is, is like the most recent one. Um, yeah, I so it doesn't look frequent. No, it does not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what were we talking about? <laughs> oh, Matt Chapman going to, to the Blue Jays. Uh, yeah, so the, <clears throat> their defense obviously improves dramatically, which is which is a good thing for them. I mean, uh, Bo Bichette is, a, from what I can understand, a decent uh, shortstop defensively. Uh, he has been putting together positive DWAR every season, which, you know, DWAR we're always suspect of, but having it be positive is never a bad sign. Um, Marcus Semien has been proven to be a really solid second baseman defensively, getting Vlad Guerrero from third base to first base, obviously a big improvement. And then getting Matt Chapman is obviously a huge improvement, especially because they do have some pretty big ground ball pitchers like um, fucking God damn it. Stupid fucking yeah, names. Hunjin Rue. Thank you so much. Fuck me. Um, and say, honestly, same thing with like Steven Matz and, 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 um, uh, Jose Barrios, like, like those are, those are guys who are going to get you some ground balls and it's good to have, you know, a good right side of the infield for that exact reason. Defense uh, offensively. I, I know Matt Chapman had kind of a down year last year. It was his lowest OPS plus of his career. Um, as he batted 210, 314, 403, an OPS plus of 100, even, but his career average is 120 and obviously would have been higher if not been dragged down by last season. 
I'm, I'm really not that worried. Obviously, the pitching in the ALEs is rather good, so it, it might suffer a little bit, but he's got a very reliable bat. He's going to get you 20-plus homers every year. I, I, I'm i not concerned with Matt Chapman offensively. No, I'm not either. I mean, obviously, we're not worried about him defensively, but no, I think he's a perfectly adequate player to right the ship and, and get back to his form. And at the end of the day, you know, strikeouts, excuse me, strikeouts aren't the end of the world. We see that literally all the time. Yeah, like for me, this signing or trade or whatever hurts much more than the Trevor Story one. I fear Matt Chapman more than I fear Trevor Story. Um, I love Matt Chapman more than I love Trevor Story, so I agree this also hurts more for that reason. He's going to look great in that. The, the, the A's to Blue Jays pipeline produces some pretty slick uniforms, though. So if his career follows Josh Donaldson's career, that means he's winning MVP this season. It's still, it's still, he's still getting a worse uniform. I mean, the Blue Jays uniforms are fucking nice, dude. They're not really good. Wow, but they got those gorgeous fucking royal blues. Uh, anyway, one more trade, and then we'll call today. Uh, San Diego Padres acquire Luke Voigt from the Yankees in exchange for Justin Lang. Corwin, who is Justin Lang? Uh, he was like our, in our depleted farm system, he was like our number eight prospects, a late first-round pick, young pitcher, high velocity. How do you feel about parting with him in exchange for a first baseman who doesn't suck? Uh, trading for anyone that's not Eric Hosmer is good for me. I'm all about it. I think this is an absolute bargain for an offensive guy like Luke Voigt, seeing as we now have a designated hitter spot to fill. Um, so I'm very happy with it. Yeah, honestly, I'm happy for it too. From what I've read about this prospect, he throws incredibly fucking hard. Um, and is a young dude, maybe a little bit raw, but he's coming up in what is a, a good pitcher's farm system at this point, really good pitcher development from what I've been able to, to gather about the Yankees recent changes. And it's clearly been their mindset for the past few acquisitions about having more of a focus mm-hmm. on raw ability and then refinement through their, their own system instead of coming in with guys, bringing in guys who are a little bit more rounded off the bat and trying to slot them in immediately which was what the Yankees have been doing prior to this they were very much so like let's get a guy who's ready to be in a game and put him in the game and there was no emphasis on um progression or or uh there's a word I'm trying to development Jesus Christ so I, I'm happy for and I'm happy for Luke Voigt I mean you know he didn't have a spot on this roster and it wasn't fair to him because he's been a good player he, he has a, a couple like health issues and his ability to stay on the field, but when he's on the field, dude fucking mashes. Uh, I mean, he deserves that. He deserves to have a starting spot. He really does. And, and the Padres is a great it. fit. Yeah, it really is. You know, that's like the one weakness on our, you know, infield. Um, it'd be great to, honestly, it wouldn't be a weakness if Eric Cosmer wasn't there and we could just start um, our boy Cronin work there regularly. But I feel much better knowing Voigt would be there at DH if needed, you know, to rotate in rather than be stuck with Hosmer the whole time. 
What do you think happens to Haas now? He rides the bench. You don't think they, you don't think they can move no. that contract? I definitely don't think they can move that contract without adding pieces to send away with it. And I don't think they would do that. Um, I mean, I imagine he'll get some playing time at first base, just you know, from a defensive perspective. He's not terrible. Um, so uh, it'll be what it is. Yeah. So just uh, for career splits stats, Hosmer was. Um, I don't have any. Oh, I don't have rates. Ah, oh, damn it. All right. Hold on one second, folks. All right. According to fan graphs, uh, Eric Hosmer's career ground ball rate, 54 percent fly ball rate, 25 percent. Luke Voigt's career ground ball rate, 40 percent. That's a huge fucking difference. Oh, my God. Um, and fly ball rate, 36.8 percent. So, I mean, a literally a 14 percentage point difference in the right direction for ground ball rate and an 11 percentage point difference in the right direction in fly ball rate. And that's not even taking into account quality of contact, which honestly don't fuck quality of contact for the moment. Just being able to not have the ground into double play King huge difference. Hard agree. Huge difference. And that's, and then you talk about want to talk quality of contact. Luke Voigt gnashes. So that's not even a problem, but like, oh my God, just, just looking at that ground ball to fly ball ratio. Wow. What an improvement. Yeah, no, it's uh it is a huge difference and I'm very happy to bring up for uh, Luke Ford on board. Oh, here's another fun one. Infield fly ball rate. Eric Hosmer last year, 11.3%. Luke Voigt, 3.6%. Yeah, home run to fly ball ratio uh, or percent, I guess, really. Eric Hosmer, 11.3. Again, Luke Voigt, 20 last season. Oh. Yeah. Good. Some, some good stats. Why did we trade him away? He was good. <laughs> hmm. Oh, boy. Eric Hosmer, I, I really wish I knew more about just contracts in general so I could figure out a way. To ship you off to literally anywhere else. Yeah. Luke Voigt has half of the soft contact percent that Eric Hosmer does. He is 6% higher medium contact and uh, five percentage points higher of hard contact. So really, I mean, it's an improvement across the board. Everywhere. Not a single category that I saw that Luke Voigt was not better in than Eric Hosmer, which is, again what you want. So kudos to kudos to everyone involved. Round of, round of applause. Yeah, for every, thanks, everybody who, who, who did this. Thanks, AJ. Um, th- thanks, AJ. Uh, I believe in you, buddy guy. Uh, anything else, Corbin, before we wrap up? Um, no, I don't really have anything off the top of my head. I'm sure there actually is something I'm missing, but you know, whatever. There's lots of stuff still going on, which obviously we'll have to catch up on later because, you know, there's a lot to talk about. There's still more trades and signings that we absolutely would have talked about in a different episode that we just 
don't have time for because there's been so much. So obviously stuff is missed. We'll catch up on what we catch up on for now. That's it. So if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Juicing Pod. If you'd like to follow Corwin on Twitter, you can do so at Corwin Heller. If you'd like to follow myself on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. And if you'd like to send emails to the show, you can do so at juicingthenumbers at gmail.com. Until next week, because I'll be gone later this week. Y'all have a good one. Bye.